Good afternoon, Tuscaloosa and Internet World. How we doing today on this beautiful, beautiful Thursday? Thanks, everybody, for jumping in and hanging out with me, the Joe Gaither Show, right here on BamaCentral.com. You're watching us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Insta, on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Excuse me, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube today. And you can find us on Playbook, Playback, on Spotify, Apple Music, on Amazon, really any place where you get your podcast. We love and appreciate everybody jumping in and checking out the Joe Gaither Show right here on Bama Central. Check out all of our work on BamaCentral.com, the Sports Illustrated home and affiliate for all things Crimson Tide. Very, very proud to be a part of the Bama Central Broadcasting Network. Before we get into today's show, we'll let you know about our other two shows on the Broadcasting Network. Our friends Blue Collar Unplugged, Jacob Pickle, Matthew Gibson, and Blake Byler uh, putting out all kinds of things basketball-related. They're going to put out a new episode uh, here pretty shortly, and I think they're going to focus on a projected starting five for this coming up season. Uh, so we be, be sure to tune in to Blue Collar Unplugged. And we've got our friends All Things Bama, All Things Bama with Austin Hannon and Katie Windham. Austin Hannon took a little vacation, went to uh, Chicago, saw Drake last night. So they'll be back on uh, probably next week for another, another episode of All Things Bama. All right, so what are we going to do today? We've had a fun week so far already on the Joe Gaither Show right here on Bama Central. You'll follow me at Joe Gaither 6 on the Twitter machine, on the Instagram machine, wherever you get your social medias. We want to thank already Caden Jones for joining us on Tuesday. Caden Jones, linebacker out of Arden, North Carolina. If you missed that episode, you can tune in on Spotify, on Apple Music, YouTube, anywhere you get your podcast. You can check out Caden Jones, 2024 linebacker commit to the Alabama Crimson Tide. That was a great conversation. But today, I'm excited to be joined by one of my friends and former Alabama Crimson Tide football player, Mr. Giles Amos. Played here at the Capstone from 2016 to 2019 really uh, put in a lot of work and, and has vast college experience. I'm really looking forward to speaking with uh, with Giles today. Giles, thank you so much for carving some of your day out on a summer af- afternoon. How's your day going so far, sir? It's going good, Joe. Like I said, I was going to be afraid if you mentioned me as only the tight end and not your friend as well because we go way back to classes at, at the Capstone. So I appreciate you uh, thinking about me and having me on. Absolutely. No, no, no. Giles Amos, one of the first connections I made uh, in the JCM school. We did, what, three classes? I guess two or three classes. At, sports at least two. Yeah, exactly. At least two classes. So it was a, it was a fun time. I, I enjoyed getting to know you as a student, and I'm really, really excited that you're joining me here today. Giles, can I start you off with a weird question? I start. I was doing some research, and uh, usually I like to ask, oh, so what have you been up to after football, after college? Are you still playing football in Mexico? I am. So I I am playing in the professional league. It's the LFA, the Liga de Fútbol Americano Profesional. Uh, and my team was the, the Mexico City Reds, so Ciudad de Mexico uh, Rojos. And that's where I spent this spring uh, in Mexico City. Uh, had a pretty good season. We, uh, we put together some good numbers and then made it to playoffs, and then we didn't finish the way we wanted to. But it was a great experience, and it was a really great time. Good for me just to continue playing the, the sport I love. That's amazing. So, yeah, I'll start right there. The Rojos CDMX is how what I have it listed as. Champions yes. in 2022. Were you a part of the championship run in 22? I, I was not. So, okay. I know. I feel a little bit bad. The year they picked me up, we, we had a first-round exit. But, no, we, so the, the league they were in, there was two leagues, and they, they merged. So, we were in a new league this year, and there was lots of competition. If you remember Trayvon Boykin, uh, Terrence Williams, who played for the Cowboys, they were – both of those guys were in this league. So, there was talent all over the board. Um, so it was, like I said, it was a great experience. And really, it, more than anything, it was just great to keep playing the sport that I love. 
Yeah, that's incredible. That's uh, that's awesome. So if, for people who don't know, the Giles Amos kind of story goes from walk on at Alabama to scholarship at Alabama to graduating, then getting a year of experience at Arkansas State, playing at play, uh, all, all, pro football focus all Sun Belt in 2020. So my, my man was doing it big there for Butch Jones and now obviously still in Mexico. So that's incredible, man. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. No problem. Giles, let's uh, get into our, our talk today. I really appreciate you jumping on. I want to talk about really your career, the Alabama tight ends, and kind of uh, the next season that's on on the horizon for Alabama. Uh, let's just start with kind of your journey to Alabama. You, you, you came to Alabama as a walk-on in 2016, uh, but I think if I remember correctly, you kind of grew up in a Georgia household maybe, as did I. I'll be, I'll be honest. I, my, my parents graduated from UGA. So uh, – what led you to what led you to coming to the University of Alabama? Sorry, I had gotten a college just in. So talking about you're, you're my good, uh, good. the experience growing up, how I got to Alabama. So I did grow up in a Georgia household. Everybody in my family graduated from the University of Georgia, uh, including same here. <laughs> were, oh, so what it's called? There you go. go ahead. Sorry, I apologize. Oh, it's all good. Uh, including including my sister and uh, brother who were at Georgia at the time of me being at the University of Alabama. So back to uh, University of Georgia route. So when I was in high school, I knew that I wanted to play college football. I didn't know where. I didn't really have any offers. I went to a small private school uh, called Westfield Schools out of Perry, Georgia. And I talked to a lot of schools here and there. But really, my route was to go to Georgia and I was going to be a walk on that was under Mark Rick. I had been in conversations with them about that. However, my senior year, uh, Mark Rick got fired. And then that, they hired Kirby Smart, brought him on, and then it did not – that walk-on offer did not stand any longer. So I'm going into spring of my senior year, don't have any offers, don't have any plans to go play college football. So at one point I thought I was just going to go to college, be a regular student, have a good time, whatever. One day my dad had called me. I was at school, and he told me that he had sent my film over to the University of Alabama, which I, I've said before I never thought to do that because if nobody else had wanted me, I thought it'd be just a waste of time since Alabama, they put it into the, the trash folder. But it was a guy named uh, it was a guy named uh, Jody Wright. He was the player, the director of player development. And we went up on a visit. They pulled me into the office and said, hey, we want you to come here. We don't have a scholarship for you, but you can come as a preferred walk on. So after that, the question was out. I was like, yeah, of course, I'm going to take that opportunity to go to the University of Alabama. And kind of there, that's how I got my start with with the university. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Just a resolve to push push on ahead and, and accomplish your dreams. I think a lot of people over, especially over the last 15, 16 years, focus on okay, the Julio Joneses, focus on the Trent Richardsons, focus on the guys who are first round draft picks, making making a big deal. What's it like to be a walk on in the program and the Nick Saban program where everybody's competing, every day's a war, and every day is kind of hell, really? Right. No, it's it's a humbling experience to say the least because. No matter in what way you wind up at the University of Alabama to play football, you were probably the dude growing up. You were probably the man. No matter, like I said, if you're a walk-on, preferred walk-on scholarship, you've always probably been the guy that your team relied on. And so when you get there and you have a bunch of alphas in a room, it's really humbling to have to take a back seat to a lot of guys. And, I mean, that goes for guys who come out as a five-star. Sometimes they have to wait their time out. So you spend those years uh, dedicating – your craft and your sport to take that back seat and help other guys out. And so there's rewarding things in that, but 
saying it's easy would, would be a lie because it's, it's some of the toughest stuff I've ever had to do was take that back seat, learn. But once you actually buy into the process, which Coach Saban always talks about, you buy into it and you buy out of yourself, you put yourself into the team first, uh, you see that that's why Alabama has had so much success because they're so good at getting dudes to do that and then helping them develop and work on their craft. And then you see guys go on to sometimes play one year of real football at the collegiate level and then they're signing million-dollar contracts. So that's just a testament not only to the players buying in, but also the program being able to get those guys to buy in and, and see that success. With it being such a tough road, were there, was there ever any moments that you thought, oh, man, I'm not cut out for this. I'm going to quit. I'm done. <laughs> the first day I stepped on campus, I remember okay, walking, tell me about into, it. <laughs> walking into the locker room, and it's just I had seen these guys playing on TV for a national championship. I thought they were like celebrities. I remember specifically O.J. Howard was one of my favorite players in high school, and he was a senior when I was a freshman. And so there was a point where I was like, I do not deserve to be in the room with all of these guys. They, they've done so much. And like I said, I didn't even know that I was going to go play college football. So you kind of have to put that fandom aside, too. And once you do that, you realize they're just normal dudes that are there just like you are. And so I think that, that for me, that was kind of the moment I was like, oh, I don't I don't know if I'm cut out for this. But then you put the pads on, you just you start playing ball, just like when you were a little kid again. And the game comes back to you. And you just remember while you're there, you look around and say, oh, this guy's good. But, hey, I'm behind the – I'm in this locker room, too. I'm good. I deserve to be here as well. Yeah, was there a moment out there on the practice field where you're like, okay, no, I can hang with these fellas? I, I, I probably came my, – my whole freshman year I spent uh, really learning. It was, it was a big culture shock. Like I said, I came from a small private school in Perry, Georgia, where we played 3A private school ball. So there was, we had a lot of good players on our team, but it's just a different, different nature. So my whole freshman year, I spent getting used to it and kind of progressing. And then my sophomore year, I remember going out uh, after fall camp and like I was making plays just like I, I used to back on the scout team field. And so I said, OK, this is where if I'm going to make a difference and I'm going to put my mark on this team, this is where I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to buy in, just play ball like I know how to. And then the rest will fall into place how it's supposed to. And it, it sure did. It worked out for me. And I think sometimes people struggle because they don't necessarily feel that they some guys have too much of an ego and some guys don't want to buy in that process and for me that was the biggest thing that set me apart was being able to buy into that process saying okay I'm here let me do my role and see what else can happen and sure enough it, it paid off for me and coach Saban was really good to me giving me the opportunity to be there in the first place and then after that taking notice and then talking with coaches and helping me in any way I could whether it be in the weight room in the classroom and also on the field. Jalice, who are some of your, maybe your influences around the, those early times that, that kept you on the path, kept you adhering to the process, whether it be parents or coaches or anybody? Because, look, outside noise is outside noise. Who, who helped you really uh, stay stay true to the process and really be mature about the whole pro, the whole, the whole uh, experience? So my my father was a big part in it. I, would, I remember texting him saying, hey, I might look to transfer to this school where I can play or whatever and I'd already been in the program for at least a year maybe a year and a half and it's like no you're there like just stick it out see how it goes you know uh grad transfer is always an option so get your degree uh figure it out so my parents were obviously big in that talking to them uh going in my freshman year seeing how OJ Howard worked I know I mentioned him earlier but he was just a true professional you know he could have been a first round pick after his junior season and elected to come back and stay and it still worked out for him he still got that first round first round pick but just seeing him go to work, how he operated 
And probably the biggest asset to me was in the tight end room as well was Miller Forstall. Miller Forstall was a great friend of mine, still is to this day. A guy I could call and he'd pick up the phone and do anything uh, in the world for me. But he helped me keep a level head a lot. Uh, I saw him. He, he started and got a good playing time as a uh, red or as a true freshman. So I just remember asking him, like, dude, how are you doing this? How did you how did you make the transition so easily? And he said, you just got to put aside the fear of messing up because you're going to make mistakes. But the biggest part is jumping in there and making the plays. And if you make a mistake, so what? Now what? Next play. Josh, you were with the team from 2016 to 2019. So you saw lots of great, great memories. Uh, obviously, the most prolific memory is the second and 26 out there uh, in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Can you give us where were you? What were you thinking? Two gets sacked and what's going through your head? And just give us the sideline perspective of second and 26. Well, I was, so we being on the sideline, our, me and my roommate were actually both from Georgia, grew up Georgia fans. And so we were in Atlanta playing against the team that, you know, I would, would, thought I was going to go to all my life and then ended up not. So I remember thinking, OK, I got friends from high school that are in the stands. I can't come back to Georgia if we don't win this game because I'm never going to hear the end of it from them. And then that sack happens. And I remember walking being like, dang. I don't know. I remember walking the sideline, my head's down. I'm having a pity party, and I'm not having even touched the field. And then all of a sudden, Tua, Tua pulls out the Tua. Second 26, the rest is written in history. But that was probably the coolest moment, or at least one of the coolest moments of my career, all playing football. You know, I sat on the couch as a kid, watched the national, stayed up late, watched the national championships growing up. So being able to be a part of that and now being able to say forever that my name is written at uh, – at the walk of champions and then I'm a national champion myself. That was really cool. And a lot of people go back to saying, Oh, well you didn't step foot on the game, but they don't see that the work that goes in through the summer. You're there with everybody. You're, you're on the scout field every day, put in the work with them. So it just, it's really cool to see all that pay off. And like I said, there was times where I didn't know if I was cut out for it, but that's one of those moments. It's like, okay, this is why you do it. And this is why you, you buy out of yourself, your selfless person, you buy into the team and good things happen. Absolutely. We, I can remember the sack happened, and I looked at uh, who I was with, and I was like, oh, buddy. And then a second later, did we just win? Oh, just <laughs> crazy. It was, it was truly it was truly almost unbelievable just how quick that turned. Everybody goes to, oh, no, not, not this. And then all of a sudden, you're celebrating your national champions of the college football world. <laughs> what is that locker room like when you guys are all like, oh, my gosh, we just – maybe even shocked ourselves it's so i remember at halftime it was actually very calm you know we hadn't moved the ball really well but that's i think that's also something a testament to the university of alabama is stay calm you don't panic you have you have 30 more minutes to play you know it's a 60 minute game so if that was only a 30 minute game of course we walk out with our hands it was 60 minutes and we didn't even finish it in 60 minutes but you know that's why you play to the end, and that's why we do such a good job in our off-season conditioning. We talk four quarters. You know, there's an off-season pro- uh, conditioning program that's called the fourth, fourth quarter. It's because you play all four quarters. So I think that that does a good job of instilling that and knowing that you can play with us for three quarters, but when that fourth quarter comes, who's going to last till the end? And Alabama's done a really good job of that. 
Giles, you highlighted O.J. Howard a little bit earlier in our conversation. Great, great point. And you've already hit on Miller Forrestall. On BamaCentral.com, my boss Chris Walsh is writing uh, a series of five best players in the Saban era. He's already done the tight ends. But his main point is, you know, we haven't had many superstar tight ends. O.J. Howard, Irv Smith kind of stand out. But then a lot Mm -hmm. of guys who just do the job. I want to ask you from playing the position, what is it about the tight end position that makes it kind of a difficult transition? You see the same thing in the NFL. You get rookies into the NFL and they kind of have a hard time uh, catching on right at the beginning at playing tight end. But after a couple of years, you see the experience. What is it about tight end that's so unique that takes a while to develop? I think the biggest, and I, I get asked this from time to time, I think the biggest transition is the blocking. I think blocking makes it so difficult because maybe in high school you were bigger than a lot of dudes, but when you get to the collegiate level, that's just not the case. And a lot of guys haven't had that true blocking experience. So like offensive linemen, they had the blocking technique down. But I know for me, I was a wide receiver in high school. I just wasn't I wasn't fast enough to play wide receiver at or quick enough to play wide receiver at an elite level. So I made that transition tight end because I had a height, I had the frame for it. And that was probably the biggest transition for me was that blocking position. So I think that that the mental game plays a lot for people, too. And I know at Alabama, Irv Smith really did a good job of breaking out and we, we utilize tight ends a lot more with him. But I think that that blocking is what, what truly is the biggest uh, difficulty because a lot of people don't want to put their hand in the dirt and block hard anymore. And I think that people who are able to do that separate themselves from other people. And that's how you see uh, tight ends who do see success early are able to do that. Giles, we've seen Coach utilize his tight end coach kind of slot over the 15 years as kind of a combo of special teams coordinator and tight ends or scout and tight ends. You're kind of doing and tight ends. Do you think that that maybe uh, has has hurt the development in that area with not having a fully focused coach in that spot? I wouldn't say that hurts the development um, because, like I said, you do see O.J. Howard, who he came in and he played at an elite level from day one. Miller Forrestal, who came in and played, started as day one, and then Irv Smith, he had a redshirt season. But after that, I mean, he was lights out. So when I was there, Jeff Banks was uh, our tight ends coach, and I, I don't know that I've had a better coach than Jeff Banks in my time. Um, I, I think it's more of, a re- especially around the time I, I was there, you saw all the receivers we had. I mean, we had elite receivers all over the board, five, maybe six first-round picks in that wide receiver room. So I don't think it, it necessarily halts the development of the tight end. I think the tight end realizes, hey, if we put our hand in the dirt, we do a lot of dirty work and help these wide receivers out when our time comes, we're, we better make the play, and we are going to make the play. And you've seen uh, some pretty solid play out of the tight ends as far as being reliable in the catching game and the possession game. But I think that's just kind of the route we had to take while I was there because of all those great players around us. Can you give me a good Jeff Banks story? I know he's a wild man. <laughs> man Jeff, Jeff Banks, I, I can't give you one in specific, but I just know that that guy brought the juice unlike anybody I've ever seen. No meeting was he ever doled out or tired or, oh, I don't want to do this today. He was the same guy every day. And he's had success not only in special teams but with tight ends. He's coached a lot of good tight ends too. So he just is a guy who's high energy all the time. You knew what you were going to get out of him. It was never – wishy-washy anything 
just and he would tell you how it is straight up front. If you if you sucked on a blog, he's gonna tell you, hey, you sucked on this blog. This is what you need to do to get better, though. So he didn't leave you on any cliffhangers, Aver. He's gonna tell you how it was, but he was gonna help you get to where you needed to be. So Jeff Banks was extremely good to me, and I love Jeff Banks. You talked earlier about uh, Coach Saban being great to you in your relationship with Coach Saban. I think a lot of people maybe have a perception that Coach Saban maybe overlooks the guys who aren't superstars. What is that relationship with, like with – I mean, you worked your tail off for the program for three years. Obviously, he, you, he, you gained his respect. What was that relationship like with Coach Saban and any kind of moments stand out to you that you carry with you today? Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I know I mentioned that the national championship was one of the greatest uh, achievements of my my career, but the day he put me on full scholarship, that was probably number one if it wasn't the national championship. I know that's a personal accolade, but it was just something that it was just cool to see how I didn't even know if I was going to play college football. And then here I am in the best college uh, ever in history for uh, football being put on full scholarship. And so there is times like when I was a freshman, I didn't even know if Saban knew who I was. I didn't know if he knew my name. I was out there every day, but like you truthfully don't know because you, he's just strictly business, especially out on the field. Right. And it's not like I'm hanging out with coach Saban in the dining hall and, and all that. So when I when I realized that he did know who I was, one of the uh, one of the the coaches had said something about how Coach Saban had bragged on how well I was doing, and I was like, he knows who I am. Like he even <laughs> knows my name. So that's a pretty cool thing. But that's just how Saban operates, and he's he's a businessman. He knows what he's doing, and it's is not he's not going to be buddy buddy with you, but he's going he's going to help you out when you need it and all that. But it truthfully, he does know everybody on the roster, which is incredible and insane. But he knows everybody. He knows their weaknesses, their strengths, what they need to do to help the team and all that. You talk about getting put on scholarship. That's one of my notes right here. Obviously, we've seen a bunch of social media videos in the past. Did they do it any special way for you or coach just call you in his office? Or what was the – how did that go down? How would you get that news? And so they, they did it in a really cool way. And I still get chill bumps thinking about it to this day. Cool. Uh, but, you know, as a walk-on, you're always thinking, okay, am I going to be that feel-good story? And for the reality of 99% of them, no, that's not going to happen. So a lot of people get caught up in that. And truthfully, I did too. And I think that I had started having a case of the poor me, as Saban would call it, being like, oh, I'm doing all this work and I'm not getting any credit for it. I've been working my ass off for all these years. But I remember it was, uh, and I joke with Miller Forstall, he had, he had hurt his foot uh, right before fall camp. So I got the opportunity to take a lot of reps with the ones. So I joke with him, if he hadn't gotten hurt, I never would have gotten the opportunity. But he ended up, he's fine. He's playing in the NFL now, so he's doing the just Titans fine. still, right? He's oh, with the Saints Andrew. now. Okay, he's with good. the Saints now. So um, after after all that, I got I had a really good fall camp, and we were nearing the end of it. And I remember we were in our last team meeting, and I said, all right, it's going to happen. It's going to be right now. And uh, he finishes the meeting. He says, all right, go to, go to position meetings. And I, I remember getting up. I literally was like, well, I guess it's not going to happen. Oh, well. And then he came back onto the podium and he said, oh, by the way, uh, Giles Amos, you're going to be on full scholarship. And the, the the meeting room erupted, man. It was a really cool feeling. Like I said, I'm getting chills talking about it. But that was that was really cool. And it's one of those moments you get to reflect back on and be appreciative of not only Coach Saban, but the players in that room who they see that you go in there every day, put your head down, go to work. And seeing that how happy they are for you, it just makes you be, be extremely proud to be a part of the Crimson Tide and especially uh, with your brothers around you. 
man, that's a great. I, I love seeing those videos, and uh, I'm actually my, my my arms are standing up right now. That's awesome. <laughs> that's so good. But it, it worked out really well for you for your senior year because you know you worked hard and, and you got in what eight games, eight nine games that senior year. You got yourself a reception. Mm-hmm. You're 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 in the books for all times, man. So what's <laughs> that right. like playing? Uh, really getting that moment. Oh, I'm on the field playing live action game for the Crimson Tide. Scholarship achieved. Now we're playing, and just things are rolling. It was it was pretty surreal because, like I said, I I never thought it would happen. So I remember getting in the first game. I said, "All right," and I had played some some trash minutes uh, in the year before. But actually, I remember getting in Duke. Uh, the first game was the kickoff game in Atlanta, and just being like, "Okay, don't screw this up. You got your opportunity. Do not screw this up." So I used I played that year. Um, spent that year as a role player. Got some really good minutes. So got some really good film, and we had some younger guys too. Cam Latu was coming up and uh, Jalil Billingsley was a freshman at the time. So I knew that kind of my role was to help grow those guys and also just do my job while those guys were getting ready. And so being in that walk-on position all of those years, I think really set me up to be okay with the role like that because I knew I was helping out the team. Well, at the same time, I was getting out, getting to live out my dream. So it was really a win-win. That's incredible. That's awesome. Oh, well, then you graduate. Uh, you graduate and then you head to Arkansas State as a grad transfer. You end up really, we already highlighted it, 2020 uh, Pro Football Focus All Sun Belt, uh, uh, 15 catches, almost right at 200 yards, two touchdowns. There we go. But really, what I want to ask is, what about uh, playing for Butch Jones? He spends time as an analyst at Alabama, and, and you kind of already kind of, I'm assuming, made some relationships right there, and you go to mm-hmm. play for him at Arkansas State. What was that like going uh, from one place to another and, and, and playing for a familiar coach? Well, I'll actually I'll actually correct you. Butch yeah, Jones didn't get there till the year after I was there. So oh, okay. My, <laughs> but, but he – no, there was a little overturn. So I got to deal with Coach, uh, coach Jones a little bit. So I got to see him in the actual – coaching thing, which is intense. He's an intense guy. When he was uh, at Alabama, like you said, he was an analyst, so he's chill. Not I, I, Analysts really can't uh, talk to players that much anyway. So you get to know kind of how they are around, but you don't really get to know them personally. So when I got to know Butch Jones personally, and I ended up declaring for the draft that year, uh, and he was trying to get me to come back, and I said, Coach, my body's hurting. <laughs> it's now, I just come off a really good season, so I said, it's now or never. But it was really cool to get to see him in a different role and what he's made for. Coach Coach Jones is an extremely smart guy. He, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to operate a program. And I, I still have love for Arkansas State because they gave me that opportunity to c- continue playing out of the transfer portal. So I, I love that place, and I love them seeing getting Coach Jones. And I, I really hope they can bounce back and have a great year this year because nobody deserves uh, success as much as Coach Jones does. Hey, brick by brick, I'm pull, I'm pulling for him over here in Tuscaloosa. We hope he gets it right. Uh, I want I got two more questions on your career, and then let's get into 2023. Uh, the Absolutely. first one, the first one is your thoughts on the transfer portal after utilizing it yourself. Obviously, college football, you got fans all over the place. It's the worst thing ever. It's the best thing ever. You experienced it yourself, and it worked out to your good. What? What? But obviously, you know probably a lot of people that it didn't work out for. What do you think about the transfer portal? I think it's great. Uh, like I said, I mean, I utilized it and it worked out great for me. I would have never ended up at Arkansas State had it not. You, you just are able to make those connections and talk to coaches. And even when I was I entered the transfer portal, I'm I was me. I wasn't like this big superstar player, but I had guys tagging me on Twitter, Instagram, all these things talking about, oh, they don't want to work. Uh, they can go somewhere else. We don't want them. But I was like, that is so silly because 
I have put in all this work and I got the opportunity. And so me getting that opportunity to Alabama, it actually helped my chances in the transfer portal. And so it's not that dudes don't want to work, but it's a better opportunity for them. So I like it. I think it's good. I think it's a great outlet for players who maybe don't get playing time somewhere they want, but can play and, and help uh, contribute at other universities. And when I was doing that at the University of Alabama, all of my coaches were were very supportive of it and said they would do anything for me. And I think that that goes to if you do what you're supposed to do, put in the work. Coaches know what kind of player you are. They know what kind of person you are. They're willing to help you. And that's a, that's what I got at the University of Alabama. Nobody was was angry at me. I wasn't walking on eggshells around the facility. I even went back to the University of Alabama and trained for my pro day. I mean, so they were they were so good to me. And I, I think it's some of the best stuff. Now, what I wish had happened is they had the NIL when I was in college. I wish that that was a thing. John, Jesus, that Amos. <laughs> that's right. I wish, but I, I'm glad they're doing that too. But I think I, I love the transfer portal, and I'm a big I'm a big supporter of it. There, I, maybe you could argue there should be some regulations surrounding it, but I think it's great for players. I, I, I'm always pro player, so I agree with you also. So um, last thing for you kind of – what did the Alabama football experience just teach you as, as a whole? You obviously spent three years there. What – lessons untold. What are, what are some of your, your favorites or biggest? Not only to be a selfless player, but it, it, you, learn, you learn things through football that you can translate into life. And I think that some of the greatest lessons – I learn and I take into my everyday life are lessons that I learned at the University of Alabama just uh, under Coach Saban. He's just such a wise guy. And if you ever listen to his interviews or his his uh, media media days, he'll talk more than he'll put football into life perspective a lot. And so I think that that goes a long way of showing that he's not only trying to help great football players. He's also trying to create these great football players into great men. They're great husbands, great fathers. Um, things that will benefit you in life after football because, as we all know, football doesn't last forever. And so you can be the greatest football player, but you're not going to play until you're 70 years old. At one point, you have to translate into this this normal human being, if you will, and live everyday life. And I think that Coach Saban does a really good job of pouring that wisdom into his players and helping us be successful after football. I love that. Well, Giles, your freshman year was 2016. We've already kind of outlined a lot of that. But there's a lot of parallels from 2016 to 2023. Namely, who's going to play quarterback? In 2016, you're a freshman. You're watching the battle go down. And then in 17, really, you see it the other way. Two were taking the lead. Uh, no, 18, you see it the other way. Two are taking the lead. And so I ask you, with those contexts, with that in, in mind, what do you see with the 2023 Alabama quarterback battle? Jalen Milrow, obviously kind of the incumbent, Ty Simpson, Tyler Buckner, nipping right on his heels, two freshmen as well. You've lived it. What's kind of your take right now on the quarterback battle? If I know anything, it's not to doubt Coach Saban. I know that for a fact. So whatever decision he decides to go with is going to be the correct and most calculated decision. Um, I did think it was interesting bringing in the the transfer uh, after spring. It has to raise questions. Was there, there more – uh, that needed to be seen? Was there just a little bit more competition needs to be had? But I, I think Milrow, had, he stepped in. He was young. He didn't have any true experience, but he did a good job, truthfully, um, at what he needed to be done. We need to build on that, I think, as a team. But it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I think Milrow probably goes in with the upper hand. but And I, I think he has all the intentions to be a great dual-threat quarterback. He, you see, he can do a little bit of everything. I think it's just putting it all into place. 
and seen it play out. And like I said, I, I trust Coach Saban with whatever uh, whatever decision he decides to make. But it'll be interesting to see it play out, and I think that's what makes college football fun. Oh, I cannot wait for this year, really, uh, for, for a lot of reasons. But that's one of them. Uh, if you were on the team, or when you were on the team, and tw- uh, when you were on the team, and you're experiencing a quarterback battle, how do you handle your own business? How do you go about focusing? Hey, man, their business ain't my business. I've got this job. What's what's what, go- what goes into that? Uh, I think it goes back to me saying how Coach Saban's a businessman. So if you're if you're at work and there's disputes going on, you still put your head down and you do your work. You don't focus on what department's arguing with what or what department's fighting with or, or fighting for a spot. You just put your head down and go to work. And at the end of the day, it all plays out how it's supposed to. So us as a tight end, we don't have any control over who's going to be quarterback. We don't know who's going to be throwing us the ball or who we're going to be blocking for. At the end of the day, we still got to do it regardless of who it is. So I, I don't think that people get really caught up and the, the battles that are going on at different positions uh, within the building. I think that's more sometimes the media makes it out to be a little bit more than it is. But I, I think, like I said, Coach Saban's as professional as they come. So he does a really good job of mediating it and, and keeping everybody focused on the job that needs to be done. Because at the end of the day, regardless of who's going to be the co- starting quarterback, who's going to be the starting running back, so on and so forth, you still got to go out and compete for a national championship the day the ball kicks off. Hundred percent, Giles. We uh we lost the we we, we lost Cam too in, in, in this past year to the NFL draft. Uh, he was number one tight end, and so you've got a lot of a really interesting tight end room uh, coming up behind him. You hit the transfer portal with CJ Dupree, and you've got a lot of young guys with Danny Lewis, Amari Nye Black, Robbie Oots, kind of thing going on. What do you see as a former tight end with, with the, in this group? And are are you pumped for to see what the you know are, what what do you see in this group? Absolutely. I love I, I That's what I watch when I watch football now. I watch the tight end position. I just think it's so neat getting – and I, I coach high school football now too um, in my, in my offseason when I'm back at a school called Stratford Academy. So I just love dissecting the tight ends games. And you get to see it from a little bit different perspective when you're coaching it yourself. Um, Robbie Oots, I think, is a hard-nosed, old-school player. I, I really like his game. And he was a guy when I was – um, actually about an inner transfer reporter, he was a guy who was looking to commit somewhere. And I remember him coming on a visit to the University of Alabama. And I actually met him and his father. And they were kind of guys that were on they didn't they were on the ledge. They didn't know which direction they were gonna go. And so seeing him come to the University of Alabama get some meaningful playing time, and he's done a pretty good job at what he's been asked to do so far. Um I so I really like his game and it's it's been cool to see that play out for him. And hopefully he can build on that momentum from last season into this year. And then, like you said, C.J. Dupree, he was the transfer from Maryland. Um, he had a pretty good year last year, so he's got some momentum too. So that'll be an interesting battle to see how it plays out. But t- Alabama is also, in the past, you know, we've run a lot of two tight end systems. So it's not necessarily one of the other guys. It's how can these guys complement each other. So I look to those guys to be the two um, two front runners going in to have, have the most uh, meaningful snaps. Um, but I think it is going to go down to who can do both, who can catch the ball, make a move in space, but who can also put their hand in the dirt and do the dirty work that nobody wants to do. And like I said, that's where you set yourself apart to, to whether you're getting the snaps on uh, fourth and one and so on. Have you had a chance to look at Notre Dame's offense from the last year or two or study what Tommy Reese wants to do this coming up year? I think a lot of people are really excited for what he's going to bring, but specifically how he's going to utilize the tight ends. I think I think the tight ends will be utilized 
in a, in a different way. But I think you'll still see a lot of it. I know Tommy Reese has had success in the past. And that also brings back to what will make it an interesting uh, quarterback battle with the connection between him and Buckner. But I, I think that, like I said, at the end of the day, it's going to be what Saban wants. So if he has to adjust a little bit, he will. But I think that uh, the Titans are set to have a big year. You saw Cameron Latu has had success the past couple of years. And I think he had 12 uh, receiving touchdowns in the past two seasons. Yeah. So he, he's going to uh, be set, set up for good success regardless. He's in a good system. And so I think I don't think you can fail either way. But it'll be interesting to see it play. Now that you're a couple of years removed from the program, you've seen what Alabama has really done in the last couple of years. You you win the the, the title in 2020. You get back and lose with uh, with Bryce Young, and now Georgia's been on top. Lots of talk this offseason that Nick Saban's lost it. As a former player, what do you think about 2023 and what the outlook and what it's going to kind of going to be in 12 months from now? As long as Coach Saban is there, I don't think Alabama will lose it. Um, and you see, like this year, people said this year was a was a failure of a season, and we finished up what third in the in the overall ranking, something something up there. So anytime that you finish uh, third in the AP polls, and people say it's uh, it's a failure of a season, you're doing a pretty good job. So I think that that motivates guys. I mean, people see that stuff too, whether uh, they admit it or not. People see what the media says, but it's only used to fuel for fire. It doesn't. Nobody gets mad about that and pouts around i mean it's it's the university of alabama and like i said i've been in there i've seen how it operates i see how guys go to work every day so it's i, I don't expect anything less than success but that's uh, that's why alabama gets this has this big target on their back because they have done so great in the past and they have had so much success that like you said it's om- if you don't win a national championship then it's almost like oh it was a down year, but I, I think it'll I think it'll be a great season. I, I just I love the Tide, so I, anytime I get to sit down on a Saturday and watch them play football, it's a good day. Do you have any plans to uh, come down to Tuscaloosa? There's going to be a lot of good home games this year. I, I will. So I know for a fact I'll be in uh, Tuscaloosa when they play Texas. So that'd be cool getting to see Coach Sarkeesian, that guy I have a lot of love for, and Coach Banks um, too. So that'll be a good game. And you know Texas gave us a run for our money last year. I mean. That was a that was a tough one. So that'll be a good one, and I, I'm sure I'll, I'll find my way there uh, for another one or two. But that's one I'll be in uh, in attendance for sure, and I'm excited for that one. Absolutely, it's going to be a huge game, Giles. This has been a great great experience for me. I really appreciate you joining us today. For everybody who uh, is tuning in today, we've been talking to Giles Amos, Alabama tight end from 2016 to 2020 2019, and still currently playing with Rojo CDMX in Mexico City. Tell everybody about really uh, CDMX, Rojo CDMX, and how we can continue to support you in your playing days and just and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. So the LFA season, we start, we kicked off in March. March 6th, I believe, was our first game, and they played the championship on June 10th. And I'll I tell you who, uh, who won the championship was Jeremy Johnson, his team, if you remember him from Auburn. His team won. So, like I said, there's good players all around the board. Um, and so it's a spring season. So uh, coming up, I guess I'll fly out in January uh, when that season starts back up. And then uh, hopefully build on a build on that momentum that we've had from there. How's your Spanish? Un poquito espanol. 
That's good. No, that's <laughs> good. That's good. But Mexico City. So not very good. No, no, no. But it, it, enough to pass by. Uh, Donde esta el baño? That's basically all you need. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Cerveza, por favor. <laughs> cerveza. I got really good at saying that one down there. And, te- and tequila. I got really good at letting that roll off my <laughs> There you go. Giles, we can't wait to keep watching you at, at Rojo CDMX next, next spring. And this has been a blast, man. I hope to catch up with you again soon. Thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely, Joe. It's great to catch up with you. And it's awesome to see all that you've been doing, man, and so much success that you've had. So I know you were talking about me, but I wanted to highlight you for a second. It's, it's always cool to see friends and old old t- uh, classmates go on and do good things. So it's really cool to see how well you've done as well. Well, I appreciate you, sir. And I appreciate your willingness to help. Absolutely. I wouldn't be here without you guys and your help, man. Thank you so much. Absolutely, Joe. Well, I pre- again, I appreciate you so much and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Yes, sir. That's Jal Zamos joining us on a great Thursday, and I'm just so, so blessed to have him. Really, really thankful uh, making those connections at school, and then turns out to be a great guy all, on top of that. Uh, I'm doing research today, and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's still playing in Mexico? That is incredible. Uh, I wonder what that's like. Spring season in Mexico, I imagine. Hot very hot Mexico City also I uh, believe is highly elevated so I bet, I bet the atmosphere uh, not so fun uh, but uh, great to see him continuing to play football and uh, we will continue to watch Rojo CDMX uh, in the spring to see to see Giles Amos continue to dominate that's going to pretty much do it for our program today I had a blast with Giles please go follow him at GA Uno Dos on the Twitter machine and you can tell him a hello and goodbye and roll tide basically right there we really appreciate his time his outlook and his perspective on the Crimson Tide. Coming up on Monday, I'm going to be joined by Julian Sayan. Yes, that Julian Sayan, the five-star quarterback from uh, Carlsbad, California, is going to join me on Monday. So I'm really looking forward to that. Come back and join us. We'll have a fun Friday show. We will be going at noon on Fridays now instead of at 1 going forward just because making room for, 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 a, for a meeting. Got to make sure I'm in the staff meeting at 1 o'clock. So join us tomorrow at noon. We'll do that going forward on Fridays, and we'll be back tomorrow. This has been another great edition of the Joe Gaither Show right here on Bama Central and Bama Central. Dot com.